Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. And while you're turning, I know that many of you here tonight would give a testimony of having trusted Christ as your personal Savior. That's great. There may be some who have not yet. And if not, this message is for you. I would challenge you who are saved, however, that you might want to take down some notes and jot a few things down because this is an evangelistic message and one of our responsibilities is by the grace of God to evangelize our community in as much as it is possible to do so. And by that, I do not mean getting people saved. Please understand, we don't get anybody saved. Our next-door neighbors, when we lived in Pennsylvania, my wife led both of them to the Lord. She led the husband to the Lord while I was away at meetings. My one daughter had some physical problems with heart issues, and so she had to be home a lot. And while that was taking place, uh, she was she happened to lead the neighbor to the Lord. And then another trip, uh, about six months later or so, uh, his uh, Bill's wife Mary was out in the back porch, and my wife was up, and Mary said, "What'd you do to my husband?" Well, I actually found out it wasn't her husband. But she said, what, I don't know, what do you think to him? Well, he's different. What do you mean he's different? He's nicer to me. He treats me well. He doesn't cuss me. And all these kinds of things. And Barb said, that's what the Lord did. And before it was all over, Barb had the joy of leading her to the Lord. And they really began to grow. And I would have had a 32 foot trailer at the time and a, a one-ton van and I'd be parking back in the trailer up behind the house there, and Bill would be running out with an open Bible saying, what about this? Tell me what this means. I said, Bill, let me get my trailer hooked up, uh, unhooked, and then we'll talk, you know, right? And, and he would come out there one time and say, well, how many people did you save this trip? I said, none. His face kind of dropped. I said, I don't do the saving. I'm just the errand boy. I'm just the messenger. I just tell people what the Bible says. God's the one that does the saving. I wasn't trying to be picky with him, but you know, it's a, he's a new Christian and needs to learn. As uh, one plus of what the rules are, I guess, uh, not rules, but learn. You know what what is biblical terminology, etc. And I want to look with you tonight at a passage here regarding the rich young ruler. Some time ago, I was watching one of those uh, news type programs on something in the order of twenty twenty, but I don't watch twenty. I don't watch any of those national channels not because they're not honest. I don't know if you've noticed this, but one of the CNN reporters was giving a report about the flood, and he was up to his waist, almost up to his waist in water, and he's holding the microphone, and people behind him are walking, and it's only ankle deep. <laughs> the people who were recording him were ankle deep. He was in a ditch. <laughs> Trying to make it really look bad for South Carolina. I mean, we got a bad enough. Listen, South Carolina got a bad enough. You don't have to make it up. But that's what they do. Anyway, um, that's neither here nor there. This one segment of this program was an interview with a famous Hollywood actress whose name I do not recall. I'm not that familiar with the crowd since the days of I Love Lucy and Leave It to Beaver. But this young lady at the time of the interview was about 30 years of age, right here mid 30, something like that, uh, had amassed a net worth of somewhere in excess of $30 million, which I know that doesn't sound like much compared to some people, 
Um, some of these athletes making almost $20 million a year. But I think you and I could do well on the tithe of $30 million, even if we split it between us. And this gal had uh, a, a mansion in Beverly Hills, another large estate in, in uh, I can't think of the place now anyway. Uh, and then she had uh, a huge yacht and a crew of sailors. She had uh, a fleet of automobiles that, among other things, included a Rolls-Royce and an Italian spaghetti car called Lamborghini. Uh, it sounds like spaghetti. It sounds like you're going to put some tomato sauce and regular on it. And it's spelled U-G-L-Y, in my opinion. Ugly. Now, that car will go up faster than some planes will fly. On the Autobahn in Italy, they actually posted one there for a while. And, and, the, and the idea was, uh, the officers had to have special training to drive one. And the idea was, we'll give you a 20-mile head start and we'll still catch you. So it kind of slowed people down. Anyway, uh, she had a, a fan club. She had all these things that people don't dream about. And the, the interviewer asked her this question because she was seeing a psychiatrist three times a week to the tune of $2,500 per visit. That's $30,000 a month on shrinks, as she called it. And the guy who was doing the interview said, you know, why, when you have so much, I mean, you have things that people only dream of having. Why do you spend so much money on shrinks? Here's what she said, I never forgot. She said, and I quote, in spite of all that I have, there is something missing in my life. And I thought, wow. If I could just sit down with you for 10 or 15 minutes, it wouldn't cost you $30,000, wouldn't cost you 30 cents. Uh, what she needs is the Lord, and she's not going to get it in a psychiatrist's office. You can't go to the drugstore and have it filled in a prescription. She needs peace with God that can only come through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then later that year, as I was reading through my Bible, as I always do, I came across this familiar passage of the rich young ruler, and immediately my mind went back to that Hollywood actress. And there are a lot of a lot of comparisons here, a lot of similarities here in the things that this man had. I want to point out to you several things. Let me begin first of all by reading, beginning at verse 16, down to and including verse 26. And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There's none good but one. That is God. By the way, a wonderful proof text for the deity of Christ. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. He, that is the young man, said unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man said unto him, All of these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. 
Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of God. And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Notice, first of all, several things about this young man. He was a ruler. Now, in Luke's account, and by the way, you find the story of the rich young ruler recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is the only gospel in which this is not recorded. In Luke 18 and verse 18, the Bible says that uh, he was a ruler in the synagogue. Uh, he was a ruler, most likely, however, in the synagogue because of his knowledge of Scripture, etc. The word ruler means uh, a person of influence, uh, one in authority. So as a result of his position, this man had some measure of power. And folks, we live in a society that is power-hungry. I, I want to be careful what I say. I don't want to be misunderstood. But we're living in, in a time right now in this very, in, in the month of uh, September of 2018, where people uh, in our country are, are going stark raving mad because they've lost their control. They've lost their power. There are people who run for political office not because of the uh, because of the finances. I mean, one guy who uh, spent $20 million of his own money to run for Senate office, what, for $150,000, $175,000? That doesn't make sense. Only one reason, the power, the stepping stone perhaps for a presidential run. There are people in business who are power hungry. Uh, they don't care who they step over, what companies they have to buy out and destroy so they can become the biggest in their field. Boy, local government, power goes to the head too, doesn't it? When my wife's mother passed away, we got a small inheritance, and we were going to repair the porch, going to replace the porch on our house. Our house was a 1903 vintage uh, Victorian twin house in Chester, Pennsylvania, and the porch was tongue and groove wood, and it was it was in bad need of replacement. So we had made arrangements with the uh, Mennonites to come down from Lancaster County and put on a plastic porch. You were talking about the, the plastic wood made out of milk cartons. You don't ever have to paint them. Uh, you just pressure wash them and treated lumber in the sleeves and for the colors and everything. And, and we had all the permits and everything done. And, and the, the first day the guys came and they got the old porch dismantled, had the big boards up to hold the roof of the uh, porch roof up, you know. And all of a sudden the second day the, the uh, foreman came and said, Mr. Lynch, would you please come here? We're having a problem. There's a guy out here threatening us. And I went out front, and here's a guy sitting in a car. I, 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 sh- I sure know right away by the, by the small hubcaps that it was a government car. The government's too cheap to put full hubcap covers on their cars. All right? Uh, they got enough of our money. They can certainly afford to dress up their cars. Anyway, this guy's threatening to, get this, arrest me, fine me $10,000, uh, and have me charged and and to undo all the work that's been done. I think, wait a minute, how are you going to undo? You're going to take all the scrap wood and put, it, put the old porch back together? Turns out I was a building inspector, my fingers. 
And he said, I said, what is your problem? I'm assuming he has a problem, not me. What is your problem? He said, you don't have a purpose. I said, oh, yes, I do. Well, I don't see it. Folks, I am honestly, I am not this aggressive. I said, of course I have. Well, I can't see it. I said, well, of course you can't see it. Sitting here in your car across the street. I said, it's right there on the, on the window of the front door where your office told me to put it. Well, you can't see it from here. I said, no, you have to get out and walk over and look at it. Well, the, you see, the porch kind of went this way, and then there was a kind of a vestibule, a hallway back here, and the front door was back here. It was recessed a little bit. And right here on this part was a big picture window. He said to me, well, you ought to have it on that big window where people can see it. I said, I put it where I was told to put it. Now, I said, you see those curtains hanging at the window? Yeah. I said, if you want to go in there and move the couch, move the coffee table, and mess up those curtains to hang a silly piece of paper, you can deal with my wife. One thing no politician wants to deal with is a housewife who just got her curtains messed up. And he seemed satisfied. And he started to, I said, before you go, I've got a question for you. He said, what's that? I said, why do you government people always assume that we taxpayers are, are, are cheating or lying or doing something under the cover and illegal like you people do? <laughs> He looked at me, stepped on the gas, and boom, he was going, I said, well, I'm going to get that audited by taxes, but I never did. I don't guess he's never had that question asked. Why do you judge us on the basis of the way you people act? You see, a little bit of power went a long way. This man not only enjoyed a measure of power because of his position, he also enjoyed a measure of prestige. Being a, a, a ruler in the synagogue, he was the man that people would look up to. You know, one thing we like today, folks, are decent role models for our young people. We used to be able to look up to guys like Mickey Mantle and Richie Ashford and athletes, you know, and, and, and be decent role models. Folks. There are very few other than that guy, the guy who kept kneeling on the football team to pray when he didn't make a touchdown. What's his name? Uh, T-Ball? T-Ball. Oh, God knows his name. Uh, you know, other than that, these guys, folks... Um, they couldn't care less. They, they, they have all this all this stuff in their minds and all this money in their pockets. And, and the fact is, not one of them, or very few of them, are worth their salt in, in moral character. How many of them are showing up in court for abusing their wives or abusing their kids or drug abuse or all kinds of other things? We have a real lack of role models. Let me tell you something, folks. Our young people ought not to be looking to the world for role models anyway. They ought to be looking to the church leaders, the pastors, the deacons, and their wives, and youth leaders, and Christian school teachers. That's where we need to have our role models. And thirdly, this man enjoyed some measure of popularity. I mean, you read about, we're going to, as we're looking at his life, look at his parents, David, all that stuff. Who wouldn't like a guy like this? And so he enjoyed some measure of popularity. And I'll tell you what, folks, there are some people who have sold their convictions. They've sold out their biblical convictions for the pottage of popularity. To have a pat on the back. To, well, let me tell you something, folks. Uh, and, and please understand where I'm coming from. When Billy Graham passed away, I was astonished at how much, the, how much good the world had to say about him. Listen, when the world has nothing but good to say about you, something is wrong. And if you know anything about biblical fundamentalism, 
and Bible doctrine and the ministry of Dr. Graham, you know that there's a lot left to be desired. The man who espoused Roman Catholicism, the man who espoused unbelief, and had men like Bishop Pike to come up with a man who was an agnostic, a man who was into the occult, and yet he headed up one of the crusades in San Francisco, California years ago. I want to tell you something, folks. There are some people, I don't want to pat them on the back. There are some people, if they say, oh, Ken Lynch is a great guy, oh, what have I done wrong? You know what I'm talking about? We need to be very careful who our friends are. Our friends are a reflection more of our character than our families. You don't get to pick your family. But you do get to choose your friends. So number one, this guy was a ruler. Number two, verse 20, notice he was religious. Jesus mentions in the two preceding verses uh, five or six commandments. And by the way, for those who say, well, we just have to live by the Ten Commandments to get into heaven... Well, guess again, Jesus only mentions five of the Ten Commandments uh, of, the, uh, of these uh, here. And the last one is from De uh, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. And when Jesus mentions his list of commandments, I don't know whether he was going to say more, the guy interrupted him, or whether this was just a sampling. But the point is, the guy's taken back by surprise. He says, Lord, don't you know who I am? I, I've been raised in the synagogue. I'm a leader. I, I'm a leader in the synagogue. Don't you realize it? I've known these scriptures from my youth up. I've kept them all. You see, folks, there's a lot more to the commandments of God than the mere list of ten. Frankly, the ACLU should be glad all we want to display are the ten, or ten of God's commandments and not all. But also, we, we know here that there's are numbers of people who have a knowledge of Scripture in the head, but not the heart. Yes, it begins in the head. We've got to realize and understand the truths of the Word of God. But then as many as received Him, to them gave power to become the Son of God, to them that believe on His name. You start with believing, and then you have to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And by the way, that doesn't happen through the Mass with some little wafer that somebody puts in your mouth. That's not receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. That's receiving a piece of man-made material. Notice number number three in verse nineteen. He was respectable. We only have time to look at one of these commandments. In verse nineteen, Jesus said, "Honor thy father and thy mother." By the way, this is not a suggestion of God. This is a command of God. Honor thy father and thy mother. Moral examples. Um. Matthew Henry describes it this way, decent respect it means an inward esteem of them that is outwardly expressed on all occasions in our conduct towards them. It is the opposite of mocking or despising them. And so he says here, he's good, good to his parents. He's honored his mother and father. I've kept all these commandments. Now, this is not to be confused with the commandment in Ephesians 6, where the Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, because it's right. You know what that means? Uh, we got a couple girls here. All right, how, how old are you back there? You're 10, right? And how old are you? I'm 29. You're 29, okay. Boy, you look young. You're going to appreciate that when you're 49. My daughter, my daughter has a master's degree, owns her own home, kept her by a car. I took her out because her car was wrecked, and the guy said, doesn't your dad need to sign for you? <laughs> She's 36. Now she's 43. Okay, so Lily, right? I remembered your name. Aren't you proud? What does it mean to obey your parents? I know you've never heard that before. What does that mean? 
pastor said to me, now he's supposed to be my pastor. He's supposed to be my friend. He's supposed to be supportive of these young people, right? You're shaking your head, no, brother. He said to me, Ken, he said, your parents are right. You're wrong. Get right with God. Go home and get right with your parents and go to bed. Short, quick, but good at us. Here we're to honor our parents, to give them the respect they deserve to. My wife's father was a drunkard. I never saw him in the nine years that we knew each other before, say nine, was it five years, uh, uh, five, six, seven years before we got married. The only time I saw him sober was when he was in rehab. Except for one time he came to church, he was sober. That, that's a whole other story. Otherwise, he was drunk. He didn't come to our wedding. He was drunk. And then he got married. Her uncle walked her down the aisle. He would beat the kids. He was very abusive, verbally and physically. But you know, in all those things, I can never remember my wife. And we were together for you know 48 years of marriage and over 55 years. Yeah, and I have never heard my wife speak ill of her father. That doesn't mean she... She uh, agreed or approved of his lifestyle. She never spoke <clears throat> disrespectfully either to him <clears throat> or of him. I cannot say that, and I had Christian parents. Honor your mother and your father. Number four, in verse 16, notice he recognized Christ. He said, good master, what good thing shall I do? He recognized, first of all, the goodness of Christ, but... Not necessarily the godness of Christ. But let me tell you something, folks. If he's not God, he's not good. If he's not God, he's a liar, a fake, an imposter. He claimed to be God. In fact, he said, what, what are you calling me good? There's none good uh, but, but one. That's God. Over and again, contrary to Jehovah's Witness, he claimed deity. And here he says, good master, good teacher. That means you're the teacher. I'm a student. I've come to learn. No, he hadn't come to learn anything. And then he calls him. He says, good master. That I did master is, I am your servant. I am your student. You, you teach me what I need to know. This guy was on a shopping expedition and nothing more. Let me tell you, folks, only Jesus can teach you the way of salvation. Only will you find it in the word of God. Number five, notice he was rich. Verse 22. The Bible says that he went away sorrowful, for he had great riches. Um, I took my concordance and looked up a few verses. I'll just give them to you very quickly. If you want to write down the reference, you can look them up later. Uh, dealing with money and wealth and riches. The Bible has a fair amount to say. By the way, people say, that ah, is a preacher preaching about money again. Well, it's in the Bible. Right. Psalm 37, 16. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Twice my wife and I, during ministry in England, had the opportunity to visit Windsor Castle. I don't know why I wasn't invited for lunch because the Queen was there and I was an ambassador for the King of Kings, but she ended up didn't know I was there and she would have invited me for lunch, I'm sure. Which always we toured the castle. I felt sorry for the Queen. I mean, I, I like Queen Elizabeth. I don't like the crown idea, but I like the queen. But I feel so sorry. She cannot go to Walmart and go shopping. Everything she does has to be on her own private estate. She has no real personal life out in the public. It's always crowds, crowds, crowds. 
And I thought, you know, the riches of many wicked folks, I, I wouldn't want to have that much money. The fact is, the Bible says a little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of all the wealthy, wicked people in the world. I'm not saying the queen's wicked, but you know what I'm saying, right? Psalm 39 says, Surely every man walketh in the vain show. Surely they are disquieted in vain. He heapeth up riches and knoweth not who shall gather them. The debates in the courts over estates and wills. Proverbs 11.28 He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Proverbs 13.7 There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. Jeremiah 9.23 and 24 Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, saith the Lord. In Matthew 13, 22, Jesus spoke about the deceitfulness of riches. How about 1 Timothy 6, 17? Charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Remember when the stock market fell a few years ago? What people were not committed suicide. Happened back in 29 when the big market, the market crash and the Great Depression. Because that's where people's hope is. It's in their, it's in their portfolio. When the portfolio crumbles, you have no hope. James 5, 1 and 5. This is rich. Go to now, and that's not meant to be funny. Go to now, ye rich man, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and are wanting or empty or wanting. And I read that verse and immediately my mind went back to that Hollywood actress. She lives in pleasure on the earth and is wanting. Her life is empty according to her own words. Maybe then you begin to understand the words of Lord Jesus in Mark 8, 36. What shall a prophet a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. You see, you can't take one penny, one farthing, one nickel with you. It all stays here when you go into eternity. The only thing you have that lasts for eternity is your soul. Notice in verse 16, this man, number 6, had a relative interest in spiritual things, indicated by his question. What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Luke's account uses the word inherit. What shall I do? What good things shall I do? I may inherit eternal life. First of all, you don't inherit eternal life. And number two, you don't do anything to get it. This man was, what, what, what do I have to do to be saved? Listen, friend, if all he had to do was, was to give up his wealth, and that's what Jesus said. And by the way, all the things we've looked at are good about this man, but none of them can save or satisfy. And that's why he asked the question, I've kept all these things from my youth up, what lack I have? In spite of all the Bible knowledge, in spite of all of his riches and wealth and influence, he still knew there was a lack and a spiritual need in his life. So he asked, what do I have to do to get it? I mean, when Jesus said to him, Go and sell what you have. Give, give the commandments. He says, I kept these up. And then in verse 21, if you want to be complete, go and sell what you have. Give to the poor. Have treasure and come and follow me. Was Jesus teaching a social gospel or not? Although that is the heart of the social gospel in a nutshell, 
But Jesus was proving a point to these young men who had just said to him, All these things have I kept for my new God. See, this man wasn't even honest with himself. You know what the commandment number 10 is? Thou shalt not covet. And folks, this man coveted the material possessions of this world more than the eternal destiny of his own soul. And he died and went to hell. Notice finally his refusal to repent. He said in verse 22, um, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful. The word sorrowful means literally full of sorrow. This guy was really disappointed. You know what, folks? He was on a shopping expedition. He wasn't there to find out how to have eternal life from a spiritual perspective. He has all these possessions, all these earthly things. He hears about eternal life. you got to admit, sounds pretty good. But what's it going to cost me? What's the bottom line? Jesus said, you can't buy it. And he went away full of sorrow. By the way, I want you to notice a couple things here. He went away. Please notice, Jesus did not send him away. He went away full of sorrow by his own choice because he couldn't have things on his terms. He couldn't make a deal with God. Hey, nobody can. God's the one that gives you the opportunity to have the gift of eternal life. You don't make a deal to get it. You either accept it by faith or you reject it in the flesh. To receive it is to be saved. To reject it is to continue to be lost and damned and one day go to a Christless, eternal hellfire. Now folks, there is no record anywhere in the Bible that this man ever again came to Christ and got saved. Three times it's recorded of his rejection. Not once is it recorded that he ever came back and got right with God. And I therefore believe, based upon that, that this young man lived his rich life, died a rich man's death, and was buried in a rich man's grave, and though not the same man in Luke 16, but much like him, and in hell, he lifted up his eyes and began to Folks, this man died and went to hell. Why? Because Jesus would not save him? No. Jesus said, Him that cometh to me, I will know why it's guessing. He said, This man came, yeah, but he came on his own terms, not on God's terms. Did he die and go to hell because God could not save him? Or would not save him? No. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, die and go to hell, but have everlasting life. Why then did he die and go to hell for the same reason every person in hell tonight is there? Because of their rejection of Jesus Christ as the only way out of hell and into heaven. In the Old Testament, Christ had not yet lived, but they rejected the sacrifices. They rejected the blood without which there is no salvation. People today reject. They say no. And again, I use the illustration. I'm on my way to to, to Spooner. At least I think I am. And my GPS, every time it, it interrupted me, was like somebody sharing the gospel, like somebody passing on a gospel track, some Christian trying to warn a sinner, the way you're going isn't going to take you where you where you want to go. Oh yeah, it is. No, it's not. And guess where I wound up? I didn't wind up in Spooner. I wound up in Spencer. They sound a lot like well, no, I'm glad I did that now, brother, just for the illustration. <laughs> Even though it made it tough for you guys, I'm sorry about that. Listen, friend, you don't have to have in your life happen what happened in this man's life. 
This is not a, a, a one of these examples that you want to follow. This is one of those examples you want to go out of your way to avoid. You do not have to die in your sins and go to hell. You do not have to say no. You do not have to reject. You can tonight by faith believe and receive and be born again and saved and a child of God on your way to heaven. What determines whether you go to heaven or hell is not your good works. It's not even the sin question. It's what will you do with Jesus Christ? Let's bow together, please, as we pray.